Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. I wonder if you saw on television or read about in the paper recently where the gentleman robber in Houston, Texas, turned himself in. Uh, This was a man who for several years now had been robbing people who would stay in uh, motels in the Houston area. He was such a gentleman and so attractive that people, when he would introduce himself to them in the hotel lobby or dining room or bar, immediately uh, were attracted to him. Later, when uh, uh, he would maybe knock on their door and say he uh, thought of something that he'd like to continue in the conversation, they would invite him in. And then he would hold them up, but always very polite, always very much a gentleman. But uh, recently someone was arrested who looked like him and was charged with his robberies. Seeing this on television, his conscience convicted him, and he turned himself in, unable to live with the thought that someone else was going to go to prison for his crimes. All we have here in the sixth chapter of Matthew, or Mark, an account of Herod Antipas, who was the second son of Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great is the one that sought to kill Jesus when he was born as a baby. We have Herod Antipas, uh, ruler over a part of Palestine, struggling with his conscience. Conscience is troubled as we Read the opening part of the account in verse 14 of Mark 6. It says, And King Herod heard of him, that is, of Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. And he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. When he hears of Jesus' works, he believes it's John the Baptist reincarnated or resurrected. Uh, Others took a different view. Others said that it is Elijah. The Old Testament prophesied, the last passage in the Old Testament spoke of the fact that Elijah the prophet, who'd been dead uh, for some 300 years when Malachi prophesied that, was going to come before the Messiah. And so some said that John, I mean, that Jesus was Elijah. But actually, John the Baptist was Elijah who had come, Jesus tells us. He wasn't Elijah reincarnated. He was uh, one like Elijah, another Elijah. He came in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way for the Messiah. So others said that Jesus was a prophet, or one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He has risen from the dead. Notice his guilty conscience is troubling him for beheading John. He's like Lady Macbeth in Shakespeare's play. You remember she has persuaded her husband to kill King Duncan when he was a guest at their home. And then she can't get that off of her conscience and she walks in her sleep and she sees blood on her hands and she tries to wash her hands and she says, Out, out, damn spot! All the perfume in Arabia won't cleanse these hands. She can't get rid of the guilt that's troubling her conscience. 
Well, here's conscience troubled. Then we have conscience confronted. We back up now to what led to the beheading of John. Uh, when John confronts Herod with Herod's sin. In uh, verse 17, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he, Herod, had married her. Uh, the background of this was uh, that Herodias had been married to Herod's half-brother, Philip. But when she met Herod, she opted for Herod. And Herod divorced his wife, the daughter of an Arabian king, which led to a war with her father, and uh, married his brother Philip's wife, Herodias. She was also his niece, so he marries his sister-in-law and his niece. Uh, John confronts this. Uh, and John, in verse 18, John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. And John uh, fearlessly had confronted this. And when John had done that, Herod had imprisoned him in uh, the dungeon of the fortress Machaerus, which was on the edge of the Dead Sea, an isolated, uh, unassailable fortress, a very lonely place. We see conscience confronted. It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Then you find conscience struggling. The protection that Herod afforded John in verse 19, Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she could not. You know, some people, they simply cannot tolerate the pain of self-reproach to acknowledge that they've done wrong and actually to deal with it. And Herodias was apparently like that. And this thing burns in her soul, and she has a, a grudge against John, and she wants to kill him. Uh, but notice Herod's regard for John. It says she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and a holy man. And he observed him, and when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Uh, Herod, before this confrontation, apparently, went to hear John preach. And he, he was moved greatly by what he heard. And then after he imprisons John, he goes and he has conversations with John in prison. And he fears John. He knows he's a just man. John's character makes an impact on him. And so Herod protects John from Herodias' malice. It says that he responded to John. He said he heard him gladly and did many things because of John. When he heard John, he thought like this. John is right. God is holy. I must stand before God someday and answer to him. It's folly for me 
not to get right with God. I must correct my ways. And he starts correcting some of them. Maybe he quit drinking as much. Maybe he quit gambling. Maybe he was kinder to the poor. He did many things because of John, but he wouldn't do the one thing that John put his finger on and said, it's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. He wasn't willing to part with his one master sin, so he didn't really repent. See, repentance is an unconditional surrender to God. Unconditional. Where he's the master and I'm the servant, and where I take orders. And where anything that he brings up in my life that I need to deal with, I try to deal with it. The Shorter Catechism defines it like this. Repentance unto life is a saving grace. Repentance unto life, no life without it. It's a saving grace, something God works in our hearts, whereby a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, doth with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it unto God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Not a half turning, not a half purpose, a full purpose of obeying God. He should have gone to John and said, all right, John, you're right. I did wrong. What do I do now? John pointed to how we can be forgiven. John one day pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. That's the real Lamb. For generations they'd been offering a Lamb, the Passover Lamb, etc. John says he's the real Lamb. He's the one that will take away our sin. John may not have fully understood all of that. John died before the death and resurrection of Jesus. We understand. Jesus was the Passover lamb. He would die on the 14th day of the seventh month. Uh, His blood would make atonement as the Son of God for our sins. And uh, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, believe his claim to be God become man, and that he was dying, giving his life a ransom for us, When we believe in him, put our trust in him as our approach to God, trusting God to forgive us by grace as a sheer gift, and surrendering our wills in true repentance that God would forgive Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Well, Herod couldn't part with his master's sin. He overestimated the value of of that. You remember the poem, At the devil's booth all things are sold, each ounce of dross cost its pound of gold. For a cap and bells our lives we pay. Bubbles we buy with a whole soul's tasking. Tis only God who has given away, tis only heaven may be had for the asking, what did Herod give up heaven for? What did Herod pay a whole soul's tasking for? Just a bubble. Oh, he overestimated the value of that sin.
What about you? What about me? One translation says Herod was greatly puzzled and yet he listened, liked to listen to John. Why puzzle? Why perplexed? Because he couldn't figure out how to ease his burdened conscience and at the same time hold on to this thing he'd been confronted about, his master's sin. And so he's puzzled. Well, there's conscience struggling. But then you have conscience silenced, the occasion when Herod beheaded John. Herodias bides her time, shrewd, that grudge working. In verse 21, when a convenient day was come that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains, and chief estates of Galilee, all the prominent people of Galilee invited to his birthday party, and apparently held this party at that desert fortress where John was in prison. And at the height of the party, when the wine is flowing free and everyone is excited and joyous, it says, when the daughter of the said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with said unto the damsel, Ask of me whatever thou wilt, and I will give it thee. He swear unto her, Whatever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee under the half of my kingdom. At the right time, Herodias sends her daughter in. Now, it was not unusual for a woman to come in and dance on occasion, but it was very unusual for a woman of her standing to come in. This is Herodias' daughter that she's brought with her into this marriage, 18 years old. Her name's Salome. We're not told that in the Bible. Josephus, the Jewish historian of that day, tells us about Salome. And she comes in and does this voluptuous, sensuous dance. And the crowd goes, wow! And Herod leaps to his feet, and Herodias knew so well his weakness as she's planned all this out, and makes this lavish offer. Ask of me anything, and I will give it thee. And the crowd applauds. And she runs out and says, Mother, what should I ask? And her mother says, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, How will that thou give me by and by on a silver plate of the head? of John the Baptist. Now, Herod's sober. The crowd is silent. His conscience is mightily torn. Oh, what an hour of decision. And says he was exceeding sorry. The only other time the word is used in the Greek is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. But for his oath's sake, and for their sake which sat with him, he would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded John's head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison, and brought his head and a charger, and gave it to the damsel, and the damsel to her mother. 
Well, why did he do it? it? says, for his oath's sake, forget the oath. And uh, for the sake of those who sat with him, peer pressure. Peer pressure. Herod, those fellows are going to die and pass, but you've got to stand before God. Peer pressure. Many today stifle their conscience because of what others will think. What should a man do who's in that position and feels the tug of his conscience? At all costs, at all costs, if it costs you every friend you've got in the world, follow your conscience. Obey God. That's the only safe path. Think about Luther. Luther stood before all the great ones of this world. And they said, Martin Luther, will you recant? And Luther said, it's a dangerous thing to go against the conscience. My conscience is bound by the word of God. Here I stand. I can do naught else. God help me. Amen. Well, then we find conscience dead. We have a, a story in Luke 23, an account of when Jesus... Not, not John, but Jesus now stands before Herod. Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And when Pilate hears that Jesus is from Galilee, he sends him to Herod because that's Herod's uh, territory. It says in uh, verse 8 of Luke 23, When Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long time, because he had heard many things of him and hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. And he questioned with him in many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priest and the scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus, and Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him again to Pilate. Notice Herod's attitude toward Jesus. Before, when he heard of Jesus, his conscience troubled him. He said, it's John the Baptist risen from the dead. But now Jesus stands before him. And Herod's conscience isn't troubling him. Herod wants to see Jesus do some miracle. Entertain me. And when Jesus won't entertain him, he mocks him and ridicules him. What's happened to his conscience? It's dead. It's silenced. It's seared. You can reach a state where your conscience no longer bothers you. And that's tragic. That's tragic. <clears throat> um, Halsby, in his book, Conscience, has a chapter, uh, The Death, The Degeneration and Death of Conscience. He says, No normal person can prevent conscience from beginning its authoritative work within the soul. But in what way this activity is to continue depends upon his will. This means that he can and should, by his will, determine whether his conscience is to be permitted to do its work in peace and thus grow and come to fruition and reach the goal of its development, or whether it's to be hindered, weakened, and finally completely destroyed. Well, there's an organic connection between the conscience and the will. The conscience addresses itself to the will. If the will yields to the conscience, then conscience grows and develops. But if will will not yield, then the conscience degenerates and dies. 
Notice uh, uh, Jesus' attitude toward Herod. He won't answer Herod. Isn't Isn't that amazing? Isn't that scary? You withdraw. You you resist light, and God withdraws the light. You remember Francis Thompson's poem about the Hound of Heaven, Jesus, the Hound of Heaven, who pursued him and pursued him. He says, "I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. But on came the following feet, and a voice above their beat: Not shelters thee who will not shelter me. Finally." He turns and allows himself to be caught by Christ. But here Christ has stopped pursuing. Those feet don't come on. The hound of heaven quits the chase. And when that happens to you, it's too late. It's too late. We need our conscience cleansed before it's too late. And there is a cleansing available for the guilt that our conscience is a burden by. We talked about Lady Macbeth. There was a Congress of Religions in 1893 in Chicago, where, uh, as part of the Columbian Exposition, they had representatives of the world's religions, and each would extol to a great audience the benefits and glories of his religion. Dr. Hale represented the Unitarians. Swami Vivekananda represented the Hindus, and so on. Dr. Joseph Smith, uh, Joseph Cook, represented Christianity. On the platform, uh, Dr. Hale had spoken of the Unitarian faith, and then uh, the Swami had spoken of the Hindu faith. And the last speaker was Dr. Joseph Cook. He made his way to the podium, and he looked at the audience. He said, let me introduce you to Lady Macbeth. And he told the story of her burdened conscience and how she walked in her sleep and how she tried to wash the blood off of her hands and couldn't get rid of it. And then he turned. He said, Dr. Hale, Dr. Hale, is there anything in your religion that can help Lady Macbeth? And the Unitarian just frowned. And then he turned and he said, Swami, is there anything in Hinduism that can help Lady Macbeth? And he just frowned. And then he turned to the crowd and he held out his hands and he said, The blood of Jesus Christ. His Son cleanses from all guilt. Amen. Jesus Christ died, and He can cleanse our consciences by His death. If we trust in Him, if we surrender to Him, we're justified, we're forgiven, we're cleansed, the guilt is removed. Herod could have been forgiven even after he beheaded John the Baptist. If he'd truly repented then, and remember his conscience was still troubling him at that point, if he'd truly repented then, he could have been forgiven. You can be forgiven. I can be forgiven. No matter what we've done, through Christ and only through Christ. Have you come to him and put your trust in him? Is there something holding you back as held Herod back? A bubble that you pay a whole soul's tasking for. Well, if you are cleansed, as a Christian, it's important that we walk in the light, that we maintain a clean conscience. Paul says, Herein do I exercise myself constantly to maintain a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. 
as I sin, I must confess and turn from it and ask cleansing. That's a precious defense. A sensitive conscience is a precious defense. Don't dull your conscience. We're either like Herod or we're like John the Baptist. Like John, we're confronting sin in ourselves or in our society and obeying God. Or like Herod, we're willing to violate our conscience to hold on to that which we love. You have to make a decision, a personal decision, to follow Jesus no matter what. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though no one joined me, yet still I'll follow. Have you made that decision? Will you make that decision? Let us pray. As our hearts are bowed, if you have never really come to Jesus Christ and surrendered your will to him in true repentance, willing to obey willing to deal with anything he puts his finger on. Do you believe his claims, or will you, will you surrender to him today and trust him, invite him into your life? If you're a Christian, is there some area that you are violating your conscience in? You need to deal with that. But if you've never made that initial commitment and you're prepared to do it today, pray in your heart like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death. I'm Lady Macbeth. I need my conscience cleansed. I come and surrender, purposing to obey, and I trust you to cleanse me. Amen.